Welcome back to the Unregulated Podcast. This is episode number 29 here on March 25th. We're here in the AEA studios. Later on, we'll be having a special guest, so stand by for that if you're totally bored with what's going on with with myself, us. With us. Tom Pyle, your, and your co-host. Your co-host is Mike McKenna. So this is this is a long gap. We did a Thursday, Tuesday, and then we went from Tuesday to Thursday. We got to try to smooth oh, this, is this hell. week out yeah, a little bit. That's fine. There's look. So we have we have the best lots content. going on. We have the best content providers in the world. And like I said, <laughs> it, it's we, just people. I was gonna say, it's just town. the administration. The it's, hill. Just, it's just there's just so much crap to. Excuse me. There's so much stuff going on. Yeah. It, it, um, but before we get going, I gotta um, give a shout out to a, a new listener, and it's all Austin. Um, is I think her married name. She's a, she's a newly minted lawyer over at Pillsbury, um, and she was um, kind enough to let me know she'd be listening. So. Yeah, we had we had some good feedback from one of our other loyal listeners too. It seems to be the Mike McKenna wing of the of the listening base. I have a however. small, deeply disturbed following so. everywhere I go. <laughs> everywhere I go. All right. Um, I don't really have a plan for this episode, but I do have a few things I pulled up that I want to chat about a little bit. As uh, do I. The first is Bloomberg reported today, this morning, the clean energy industry is rushing to hitch a ride on President Joe Biden's emerging infrastructure plan, lobbying for a decade-long extension of coveted tax credits as the White House drafts a recovery proposal that could top $3 trillion. Lobbyists for the industry want to attach the extension of credits used by wind, solar, and other industries to the plan. A windfall that could be worth billions of dollars if successful. Of course, the administration is all in, is all in favor of this. Of course, most, if not all, the Democrats on Capitol Hill are all in favor of this. There's some curmudgeon in the article who's quoted, It's laughable. That on the one hand, they claim the industry is the cheapest form of energy and that they are the fastest growing. And on the other hand, they are lobbying the government for 10 more years of handouts, said Tom Pyle, a former advisor to the Trump administration and president of the American Energy Alliance, a free market advocacy group. Hey, really? Thanks for the not a dark money. Fair minded description. Yeah. The message I'm getting is they still need federal assistance in order to be a viable industry. Yeah. I mean, I, I, 10 years. They want 10 years. Well, they're going to get it. I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, I, I, we're going to fight it. I take a backseat to nobody in my respect for Senator Joe Manchin. Um, <laughs> but the idea. The recurring theme here at AEA <laughs> but, the courage of the profile and courage that is Senator Joe Manchin. Yeah, the idea that he's going to get in the way of this at the end of the day. This is all going to get wrapped into reconciliation. We've talked about this before. Get wrapped into reconciliation. Probably get done in September. Um, extensions for solar and wind, probably battery storage, um, and some. Um, Maybe even some money for advanced nuclear reactors, hard to say. The interesting thing about it is, is that it, it doesn't really matter. Um, the decision about solar pa uh, power, the important decision about solar power is whether to let the, um, the bifacial, the tariffs on the bifacial solar panels roll off in next February or not. If the Biden administration continues those tariffs, Nobody's going to be able to make any investments at all in solar yeah, going forward. I mean, forward. it does matter, but it's less consequential. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean it, it, if they first of all, if they get their ten year extension, then you know, what do, what am I going to do for the next ten years? Like that's like the first and yeah, yeah, most yeah. important part of this. Yeah, I mean, it it, it 
Kidding aside, I mean, these are these are racking up into the billions and billions of dollars. Yeah, I mean, federal and they keep lying about the fact that they're the cheapest form of energy because they never factor in all the subsidies and everything else that they've 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 generated. The the, renewable mandates, renewable mandate portfolio standard is a guaranteed market share. Right. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, what I'm what I'm telling you is is that um, tax credit is um, not going to solve the big problem with solar. Right. Big power with solar. Big problem with solar is, again, you know, the the fact that it originates a significant chunk of it in China, especially the utility scale stuff, um, and that the rate, you know, the return on it is really poor. And tax credits help that a little bit, but not that much. Right? You can make a lot more money building a natural gas plant than you can a solar facility, and nothing changes. Yeah, and the solar guys actually don't have as good a deal as the wind bags. No, the wind they guys get the, the investment tax credits when the it, it's, when the investor community doesn't need a write off, <laughs> they don't actually do any investing. Yeah, that's in the, solar, that's the thing about it, right? That that tax equity market in there is starting to get all kinked up. So somebody did a story on that this week actually um, maybe it was bloomberg even i mean don't get me wrong it's still it's still the kind of soft corruption that goes on in dc that everybody gets wiggy about but i'm not sure it's going to material change anything yeah well i mean the bottom line is is there's there's a feeding frenzy right now sure up man in dc it's it's three trillion bucks is a lot of money it's a lot of money on top of 1.9 for the actual democrat constituency walk around money plan yeah the only guy you know disguised as covid relief now we're just like beginning to just layer on right yeah i mean it the the only thing here is is that it's going to be this money's going to be operative for you know spread out over five, seven, or ten years, depending on the reconciliation provisions. Um, that's a pretty significant business risk um, because you know if you're sitting on one of the seven-year provisions and you get the wrong president in 2024, um, guess what? First up, reconciliation is going to be to redo this tax package. And- See, by then they might they might have bought off enough Republicans to start. You know, I mean, they're already they already have a pretty small, pretty you know, small but formidable base. They do, but you know, the Republican truth of the matter party, is, although a lot of them are retiring. Uh, that's what I was going to say. I have mixed feelings about about the um, the involvement of not Mr. Trump but his friends in the Republican Party. But one of the really salutary effects is. It's cleared out a lot of the deadwood. Yeah, yeah, know. that's true. I mean, and can... it might cost, it might prevent them from taking the Senate back in the midterm. But in the long run, I think we're in. A... I think we're in a much better position. I think Republicans I think are going to the current Republican Party. We're we're in that churn, and I think that the Republicans of tomorrow are going to be much more populist. Yeah, and much less basically doing business, big business bidding, especially. As they accelerate their desire to play kissy face with the Biden administration and these progressives, I heard a rumor. True. Breaking story. I heard a rumor that the American Petroleum Institute will be endorsing their carbon tax policy today. Today, right right now. Supposed to pop at noon today, so about three minutes. Um, It's... It's bad, right? It's the most aggressive thing you can imagine. And the fact that you have a bunch of rich companies coming out in favor of it, it I don't understand why the Democrats are all excited about this. <laughs> I, I'm, I've said this. I'll say it again. It's going to be a very easy thing to tie these rich companies um, to 
the bottom line of increased energy prices for consumers. And, and that is, I have no idea how anybody thinks that's a good idea. Um, I just, it's well, crazy. Yeah, I mean, we read, we read their statement, at least their draft statement, and it's filled with all kinds of caveats and holes that you can drive a truck through, but everyone's going to use it for their own interest. Right. And they, they think that they can be clever and cute by saying, well, here's our solution. Right. But realistically, they're, they're not going to get any relief on the regulatory side. In fact, they're actually advocating for more regulations. And we'll talk about this with our upcoming guest um, in terms of, you know, methane and things like that. So, like I said, difficult for me to um, have any sympathy for the large integrated oil companies. And I suspect it's going to be difficult for other people to have sympathy with, again, some of the largest and wealthiest companies on the planet who want to shift costs to granny to the poor and the elderly and those on fixed incomes and schools and hospitals and nursing yeah, homes those very same communities that democrats keep talking about how they're 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 seeking to protect with all their climate stuff there's an article in i don't even know what this publication is it's called one zero have you heard of this no. There's all kinds of stuff no. going on. Uh, yeah, these yeah days. I was going to say. But, is this a Chinese bot? No, but I thought it was interesting because I'm told it's sort of on the progressive end of of things. And the author, at least the co-author, is a founder of the Energy for Growth Hub at the Baker Institute, which, as you know, is, is a mixed bag. This is my who, – who, who, who? Todd Moss. Oh, no, him. But okay. the Baker guys at – where, at Rice? At Rice. Yeah, it's Ken Medlock's operation, so, right? He's a pretty smart guy. I mean, he, just 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 for purposes of context before you read the story, Ken came to us at the top of the 2016-17 transition and argued emphatically for an increase in the gasoline tax. Um, and I was like, you, dude, if you Texans want to pay more, feel free. Yeah, you can raise you, your you own seriously gas wanted me. To, you seriously wanted me to recommend a tax increase to the newly minted president of the United States. I'm like, are you? Did you, did you well, are you do you read the papers down there? Tax Gary recommended it to him, didn't he? <sighs> what does that tell you? Anyway, sorry, go ahead with the story. That's the headline: Global energy inequity goes deeper than Bitcoin. The subheadline: Californians alone use more power playing games and heating their pools. I did see this story. Than the entire countries in Africa. That has to change. Why? So. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I agree, but not probably the direction that this guy thinks. I think the countries in Africa should use a hell of a lot more electricity than they do now, improve their standard of living, improve employment, improve their economy. It, 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 I assume that's not the point he's making. He wants us it's, to use less electricity discussion here about It's a discussion about the energy intensity of Bitcoin oh, as for well. Sake. But there's just, the stats are – that California gamers will soon use more electricity than 100 million people in Ethiopia. Bitcoin already consumes more power than 200 people in Nigeria. Pools and hot tubs in California use more energy than the entire island of Jamaica. The right lesson here is not that we should build, we should boycott Bitcoin or California should turn off their Xboxes or drain their hot tubs. No one wants to take away your festive holiday lights either. The bigger question is, why don't Nigerians and Jamaicans have access to the same energy as Americans? Amen. And more to the point, what can be done to solve this problem? I I suppose we could build power plants, string transmission wires. Coal-fired plants. Build whatever you want. In the middle of nowhere, string it to the, to the villages it where doesn't... people live. Instead of supplying them with clean, cook efficient stoves. cook stoves, cook stoves. That, that more cleanly and efficiently burn cow dung. 
We we've we've brought you modernity, and it's a REI cook stove. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah, no, I I, I agree. Um, you know, this is not complicated. Electricity makes life better. Energy makes life better. The more you have it, the cheaper it is, the more affordable it is, the more reliable it is, the better your life is. I don't understand why every American that I talk to gets that and every person in DC that I talk to hesitates to say that out loud. It's really crazy. It's the biggest single disconnect in American politics. And you know who's about to find that out? All the oil companies are in favor of carbon taxes, of energy taxes, of making energy more expensive. There is zero appetite for that out there. Zero. Zero. I'm looking forward to the vote. Let's vote. Vote, vote, vote. Let's vote. Vote, vote, vote. Straight up or down. I'm, don't I'm, hide it. Don't bury it. Don't like, you know, jam it into a infrastructure bill. Just have a straight up or down vote on it. I'm done with talking. All it. you guys who've been lobbying for for 10 years and wasting other people's money, let's vote. One more article. Uh, E and E. News Energy Wire from this morning as well. 13 states challenge Biden oil leasing plan. They're about 63 yeah. days behind Kathy Sagama from the Western Energy Alliance. But more than a dozen Republican-led states filed lawsuits against the Biden administration yesterday over its moratorium on new oil and gas leasing on federal lands and waters led by Louisiana Attorney General it, Jeff Landry. Is it a moratorium? I thought it was a pause. Well, it's supposed to be up now, right? It's the 60 days it's are over. So it's a pause, Tom. It's a pause. Have they resumed it? Have it's they a resumed, pause. Have they resumed? Dude, I guarantee you the president's going to resume it as soon as he wraps up the, the backgammon game. Uh, <laughs> Wait, the dogs are back, though. Do you hear that? As soon as he throws another log on the fire, he's going to resume this. So just, it's a pause. Anyway, uh, glad <laughs> these guys are doing that. More power to them. On the other hand, 80 members of Congress sent a letter to the Biden administration saying that vehicle fuel uh, economy standards needed to be strengthened, led by Senator Markey and yeah. Congresswoman Matsui. So there's good news and there's bad news. Yeah, same song and dance. Same, same. Guy. All right. So here's the, here's the uh, last section uh, that I want to play before we get to our guest. Yeah. Um, I want you to I want you to guess who. Is this a lightning round? No, no, this isn't a lightning round. Uh, this is a, which one is Biden and which one isn't? Are you ready? <laughs> no, no. <I'm laughs> yes, 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 yes. I'm doing it. This is the data I'm doing it. Thing. I'm doing it. Ready? We're sending back people to, for, 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 first of all, the idea that Joe Biden said come, because I, I heard the other day that they're, they're coming because they know I'm a nice guy and I won't do this. Yeah. Well, here's the deal. They're not. Okay. Here's the deal. Biden that's, or not? That's Joe Biden. Okay. I just want to point out that Joe Biden did, in fact, say, come, just don't come right now. Yeah. Okay. Here's another one. Biden or not Biden? It's the, it's the coronavirus. Full stop. The conversation we had today with the AAPI leaders and that we're hearing all across the country is that hate and violence often hide in plain sight. Yeah. That's Biden. You know, <laughs> Biden. What? What the difference? What non sequitur is that? I don't know. You sure that's Biden? The difference between him and Carvey? I've been I've, I've listened okay. to this for a couple of times. He's 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 timber of his voice is slightly deeper. All right, here's another one: Biden or not Biden? Ready? Come on, folks, let's get real. I'm not kidding around here. You know, you know, we got to do the thing. We did Brock. We did the deal. You know, and uh, you know, my dad, my dad, you know. Lost his job in Scranton, no joke. 
Oh, Joe, I'm not being a wise guy here. He said, Pops, why'd you lose? He said, Joe, I did. My mom said, that's the cookie. But she, the crumble, she says, but do it. You know, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Number one, the thing that they said, come on. Number two, the two part. Folks, three, you know, come on. I'm not kidding around. No rocket science. There's, here's the deal. Come on now. Now, that he told, he knew, he knew it floated. He told Bob Woodward, it's Joe, Joanne Woodward. He told, he told Bob Redford, excuse me, I think, I, you know. But folks, I care. I care a lot. People are suffering, and I do. And my mother said, you know, that's the way the cookie is. It goes, those places. And, you know, we can do this, shots. We can, in fact, and better than we did before. Yeah. Biden or not Biden? You know, Dana... Carvey is really close. He's back, baby. He just, Dana's back. I haven't heard him just, in a long time. I mean, he's got, you know what he's got? He's got the tired Biden. When Biden gets tired, his voice gets thin and reedy. <laughs> and, you know, Carvey's got that thin and reedy thing. But when, you know, when Biden is like rested, his voice is that of a, is a, is that of an older man with a deeper voice. It's, but it's pretty close. I mean, he's like better than anybody I've heard so far, right? All right, last one. Biden or, or not? Or, this, is, this, this is a look we're going to try. We're doing things, you know. And then, you know, and come on, here's the deal. Let me, let me just, I'm not getting around. No joke, folks. You know, my dad lost his job in Scranton. I lost my dog. I'm not, he doesn't? I'm not, I'm not being a wise guy. You know, don't, don't. Okay. And, and he always does the list, number one. The one part. Number two, what they said. Number three, you get the drill. Come on, you dog face pony soldier. You know, it's just a rock. That's not good. Other. That's what people said. So the, that's what I'm gathering. The, uh, we love uh, and put the, that in the show notes along the, with the articles I mentioned. So the other thing that Gar Carvey doesn't quite capture, right? He wanders around, but he doesn't quite capture the truncation of a thought, right? The 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 what I'm interested to see at you know this afternoon, the president's going to be on his feet yeah, for what time is that? One fifteen. Okay, we should have waited till after that's the speech okay. to, to record. If it's if it's if it's if it's really. A if it's we'll really a disaster, it. we'll, we'll, save, we'll, we'll come back for in. next week. We'll right? come back in. But the fact that he doesn't have any complete thought, he never seems to have but a complete wait, thought. Let, right? let me let me play one more. Okay. Uh, it's a repeat, but uh, this is just an example of that. Ready? It's the, it's the coronavirus, full stop. The conversation we had today with the AAPI leaders and that we're hearing all across the country is that hate and violence often hide in plain sight. I, I, you know, like so something's going on up there where it's like he could he thinks he's finishing something in his head and it's not coming out of his mouth. Yeah, it it it. Oh boy, my next column up is going to be about about weakness. He and the vice president unfortunately project weakness. They just both do, and that puts us in a very very bad spot. Well. Yes, but Biden does still have some of some sense. Uh, he did, he still has some political instinct. Well, he's got a lot of political instinct, but but he's. Oh, I'm referring to the fact that he put his vice president in charge. Of Immigration. The situation That's, hysterical. The That's hysterical. That's <laughs> hysterical. I want to guess that he didn't ask her first or, no, or hell notify no. her hell beforehand. No. Like what? That was one, that was funny. That's on one of my things that I wanted to talk about. Right? Was you know right? Before, let's do this before we we cut away to the guest. Um. There's going to be a primary in both parties in 2024, right? We're going to have a Democratic primary for president. We're going to have a Republican primary for president. I can think of no worse thing he could have done to the vice president 
then put her in charge of the mess at the border because there is no way that um, you come out of that happy, right? If you're a Democrat. And the funny thing is, is her own people immediately, immediately started to backpedal. No, 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 we're not in charge of that. We're in charge of the broader Central American portfolio, you know, the root causes of why people come and this, that, and the other thing. And I thought they must understand what everybody else understands that um, he just threw her in a in a pool full of crocodiles, um, you know, alligators, whatever. Good luck. First of all, I mean, the disconnect between what's happening and what they're saying is happening. It's is seasonal, astounding. Tom. It's seasonal, Tom. It's shocking. Two military bases okay. in the San Diego Convention Center. It's seasonal. That was one thing, and I'll throw an article in the show notes about that. The other thing is we we didn't talk about this, but an SUV full of filled with twenty five people. Yeah, so I think got hit by a truck. What in? Yeah, an I ten. It was early March. Yeah, it wasn't I ten? It was like fifteen something. Like yeah, in southern Arizona, I guess. Right? It was right on through there. They, no, it, California. It was, it was, it was determined Central. that they they drove through a hole in the border wall. Uh, yikes! Again, um, but what is more, what what is worse to me is the, the the way that the media is covering this, the way that they covered the Trump administration no. compared to this. Is not surprising or shocking. No. It's just yet another example yeah. of the disconnect. I mean, that's the thing about it, right? It, it, I don't know of a single soul who's who's capable of reading and above the age of ten years old who thinks that the the media doesn't grind their own axes. And this kind of stuff just totally confirms it, right? It, it's funny you say that because in the in in the Politico playbook this morning. They had a little rundown of what everyone was going to ask the president. All these guys wanted to ask the president if they got called on during the press conference. And one reporter, they didn't have names. Um, oddly enough, people who complained to us about our our unwillingness to go on the record themselves were unwilling to go on the record on this, right? One person said, well, I'm going to ask him about the Voting Rights Act and what he's going to plan on doing to get it done because to not get it done would be a generational failure. Yeah. And I'm like, but wait a minute. Are, aren't you supposed to be – a neutral party yeah, in this conversation. It's totally insane. Right? It's completely insane. And my best, the best part about it is the the playbooker who asked the question, the reporter asked the question, didn't follow up and say, "What the hell are you talking about? You're supposed to be a neutral observer in this in these festivities." But you know, it it, it, it the questions are going to be how did you underestimate how completely and thoroughly disorganized the previous administration was? No. You know what the question is? One, one of the questions, April Ryan, who did put her name on this thing, she said, I think this was April, maybe it was somebody else. She goes, I'm going to ask him, I would ask him how he plans on unifying the country in the face of a Republican party that has shown no willingness to work with him. And I'm just like, is that really a question? I mean, the Republicans came to you with a different idea for the $1.9 trillion um, stimulus. And you stiff-armed them. You paid no attention to them. So the fundamental of the question is wrong, but that's the kind of question he's going to get. Hey, how is it to have the dogs at the White House with you? Yeah. Uh, well, it was- Going to get a lot of that. It was frustrating not to have him for a few days, but- You and me should have a bet on this because one of the reporters said, I think he's going to be up there for longer than an hour because you know they're not going to be able to pull him off. I'm like- there's no way he can stand there for an hour. Guy hasn't stood up let's, on his feet right, for an let's hour. Let's do it over and under on an hour. Oh, I got the under. I'll, I'll, I want to reset that. Yeah, okay, re re reset it then. That's better because we're not. We don't have a thirty-five minutes. He's done by one. He comes in five minutes late. He's done by two o'clock. Thirty-five minutes. I'll go under. 
Okay. I'll go under. I know. I said it really good, I'll didn't go I? Under. Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I'll go under. Yeah. I wish we could take bats. I'll go under, but I will say that uh, I, my under counts if if you include all the dead air. Okay. And the ums and the uhs. Okay. And the looks and here's the deals. Okay. <laughs> all right. I'm going to have one of my producers actually time all of, all of the substantive part to see what the number comes in at. All right. Um, all right. Well, let's move on to our special guest. And then I'm going to let you finish the show up, Mike, with all with with whatever you have left. Uh, I got three or four things, so that's good. All right, let's move on. All right, well, this is the segment of the show where we <laughs> this have is the, this is the part of the show where we have a guest, a very special guest, and we have wanted this special guest for a few weeks now. But my She's... understanding is she prefers to ski on occasion, which is probably a well-deserved vacation. She's too important, Tom. Don't don't uh, kid yourself. We have we are. Pleased to have Mandy Gunasekara with us. Mandy was most recently the chief of staff to the EPA administrator under the President Donald Trump administration. And yes, I'm still going to use the word Trump, even though nobody, uh, everyone refers to, to it as the previous administration previous occupant. or the former president. She also uh, did a stint in the Air Office of Air and Radiation as the principal deputy. In between those gigs, she ran a nonprofit called Energy 45, which um, wisely promoted all of the really good things that the Trump administration was doing while uh, he was in office. And she also served uh, as a, a leader on the Senate EPW Committee, the Environment and Public Works Committee, under then-Chairman Jim Inhofe from Oklahoma, among many other things. Welcome to the show. Mandy, how are you? I'm good. Thanks Thanks for having me. Appreciate you coming on. And how how'd the skiing go, by the way? It was good. You know, that was really just the cover. I wanted to give you a few extra weeks to learn how to correctly pronounce my name. Oh, thank you very much. I actually thought I had it, and then he got me all confused. And I was closer than he was. I do so that to people a lot. You can blame him for that, not me. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, listen, we're 60, mm, 65, 64, 65. 65 days into the Biden administration. But you're asking me how old I was for It's a been second. 64 days, by the way, since he signed the order killing the Keystone Pipeline, and there are still no jobs. Green jobs. Still no green jobs for those union workers who were laid off 65, four days ago. I just like to point that out on my Twitter feed on a daily basis. So- Give us an assessment of how it's going. Well, you know, it's it's going as you could expect. I think we saw leading into the campaign and then the election and after the election, we knew that there were going to be drastic changes in the energy and environment space, primarily because this team was going to be coming in and they were going to put climate change back at the centerpiece of everything and they were going to use the potential catastrophic end as the justification for causing harm today. And so we saw that with, as you mentioned, the Keystone XL pipeline. I think it's also important when you're talking about that, it's obviously the job, the workers that lost their jobs, that's a big deal, but think about all the families that are supported by those jobs and all the communities supported by those families. And what he did with the stroke of the pen on day one or two was essentially decimate these areas that had seen and experienced unbelievable growth under the past four years. So, you know, the first 60, 
four sixty-five days, um, you've seen this dramatic shift on energy and environment issues that have significant consequences for the economy, all the way from um, the growth side on a macro level to uh, the impact to these communities that not only depend on jobs but depend on tax revenues and benefits to fund schools and other community infrastructure. All of that is going away, and so it's it's unfortunate, but. Um, it's it's also indicative of a lot of work and a lot of things that we're going to have to fix when we all get back in there. So talking about work and of fixing things, um, are you surprised at how, uh, well, give me your assessment of how swiftly, uh, and this is negative, obviously, but how swiftly they've, they've undone a lot of the good things that you guys did over the years. And what do you think is going to stick? Um what do you think they're going to have a tough time unwinding? I heard yesterday or this morning that the uh, Democrats in the Senate are, are thinking about using the Congressional Review Act to go after your methane, the fix uh, on the methane rule, which surprises me a little bit because they claim they can just go back to the Obama stuff on methane. But the CRA, it's tricky because theoretically they're not supposed to address a substantially similar regulation under that law, uh, but also the, the the courts have been helping them kind of undo stuff, particularly the most important thing, which I thought you guys did towards the end was the cost benefit. So give me a sense of kind of what you think all, of all the good things that you guys did, what stuff will remain and what stuff will we have to like work? What can we have an impact on here in the outside uh, as, you know, or people who care about freedom um, and what do we think um, they're going to have an easier time sort of taking taking shots at? Well, I think it's really important to note that the courts gave them a massive boost from day one. I think it was January 17th, the D.C. Circuit um, re, re, uh, remanded, uh, re, sorry, vacated and remanded, let me get my words right, um, our ACE rule and sent it immediately back to the agency. Um, now, I would say it was off of a flawed argument and the general strategy in the context of our ACE rule, and just to remind everybody what that was, that was the replacement to the Clean Power Plan, um, where we set standards consistent with the actual terminology laid out in the Clean Air Act and handed a lot of the responsibility and roles of figuring out how to improve relative efficiencies of their utility systems to the states as it's meant to under this idea of cooperative federalism and respected roles. Um, the, the DC circuit sent that back to the agency, so gave them a pretty big boost. When we came into the agency, now we had the benefit of the stay on the Clean Power Plan, but in a lot of these other regulatory actions, um, we spent a lot of time at the forefront trying to gain time to push off compliance deadlines under a lot of, of the, the massive regulatory regime that had been implemented by the Obama administration. So we could have time to figure out how to review and then either rescind or refine and, and reissue. Um, they don't have to necessarily worry about that because the court systems in a number of instances have handed them uh, a couple of wins from their perspective where they've sent rules back to the agency. They don't have to go through the legal maneuvering that we did. They just have something sitting on their table, um, including the ACE rule, our cost benefit rule, and the science transparency. Now, methane, I, I think that's that's interesting. Um, the, the CRA would be a really interesting discussion because it is true if you 
if you undo something via CRA, you can't have a rule that's substantially similar. And I would argue that um, it, it wouldn't automatically go back to the Obama era standards. And what you need to understand too, in the methane package, there were two elements. There was a, a technical package that really fixed some, some uh, problems in the original Obama standard that made implementing the standards in the field totally ineffective. Which was by um, or design, dangerous. I'm sure. Huh? By design, I'm sure. Yeah, of course. Yeah, um, it, it, I'm, I'm sure. So we, we had the tech, technical package and then we had a policy package that teed up a broader legal issue um, and, and disaggregated what the last administration had been doing. They'd been taking the entire oil and gas chain of operation from production, processing, transmission and storage, despite the fact that production and processing and transmission and storage from, a, from an engineering perspective they're totally different. Um, they're part of the same industry because they're moving the same molecule or molecules of sorts. But beyond that, they're totally different operations. What the Obama administration had done was try to say, despite the fact that these are very different operations from a technical expectation perspective and what we could actually set for purposes of reducing emissions and making more efficient, we're going to lump all these into one one category so that they could regulate it as an entire source, what we did was go back in and recognize those differences and split them up. So I think the methane, uh, methane is going to be a, a lot more complicated. It's going to be even more complicated if they try to do a CRA. Um, and and I, I think that a lot of what we did in that aspect will stick. Now on CBA and cost benefit and on science transparency, I think it's important to note too that what the courts found flawed with within those was the process that that we went to implement them. Um, and it, it, I feel like I've already gotten way too technical and in the weeds on some of this stuff. But the court didn't strike down those rules because of the substance of what we were trying to do. They essentially struck it down because they say the process by which we went about implementing them um, was was flawed to some degree. Yeah. Okay. So let me take two quick things from, from what you just said. Um, first is on ACE on the clean power plan, which was Obama's original deal. And then the, the, the regulation that the Trump administration put forward was back to basics. I, I, I kind of call all the stuff you guys did back to basics, right? It was under Obama, the EPA was this 800 pound gorilla that kind of like ran roughshod over all the different agencies, DOT, DOE, and you all worked really hard, uh, you know, Administrator Wheeler and his predecessor of, of re restoring EPA to its role um, and also following the rule of law. Set that aside. Two things. Ace, th there are some in the, our community that say that it wasn't a horrible thing for them to do the courts to do what they did on Ace because it essentially puts us back to 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 zero, meaning there is no Ace rule, but there's also no clean power plan either because of the Supreme Court stay. Do you agree with that assessment or or what are your thoughts about it? Yeah, I think certainly from a regulatory perspective, that is accurate. Um, what I've also heard from some of the folks I know who have their ears to the ground within the agency is that um, the, the Biden political team is doing an assessment. They may not do a CPP 2.0 because they essentially have found that 
the threat of regulation and the fact that since the CPP was first discussed, what was it, like 2014 when it was first proposed, um, to now that's six to seven years yeah. where we've been fighting over this, just the threat of that regulation coming down the pike forced the utilities to make adjustments one way or another. And the real impact to the entire utility sector came with the predecessor uh, regulation mats, the mercury yeah. and air toxic standards. So from, from a resource perspective, and by resource, I mean, when you get in at the agency as a political, you only have so much time, energy, and resources. They may not put time, energy, and resources towards doing a CPP 2.0 because they feel like emissions reductions have essentially occurred anyway because of things like market forces to some degree and other regulations that cause significant harm. Um, from a cost benefit perspective, and that they're actually going to be focusing more on the oil and gas sector, because what they really want to do um, is they is they want to establish an existing standard, a standard for existing oil and gas operators. Right now, the methane rule, what we fixed, and then the policy package we have pr proposed, finalized, it only sets standards for new sources. Um, they want to establish one for existing sources so they can they can squeeze that productivity out of the energy scene here in the U.S. Yeah, and I, I, I lament the fact that some of the industry is advocating for this rule. Uh, in fact, uh, they a few things struck me funny during the Trump uh, administration, uh, with, especially with, with publications like The New York Times. Where I would get calls from reporters uh, on different rules, like say the fuel efficiency mandate, the the cafe mandate, or uh, in this case the methane rule, and the question was always, "Well, the business community doesn't want this, so why is the Trump administration doing it?" And uh, it was funny because it struck me that like the New York Times was arguing uh, uh, <laughs> on behalf of the auto industry or the oil and gas industry, right? So there's that dynamic. But then what I heard and something that broke in the Wall Street Journal recently uh, in the editorial page was that our friend Chris Horner uh, uncovered a whole bunch of documentation that said that the real plan for the Biden uh, folks uh, is to use ozone, the ozone mm -hmm. rule, ozone next, which is the sort of every five years or so the uh, you know the law says that the EPA can reevaluate and determine what the right standard is for ozone t for human health purposes, and they're going to try to morph ozone into a CO two regulation. Yeah, so I read I read that article too, and um, I think it's it's very interesting. I mean, I would say from the very beginning, when uh, folks were thinking about how to establish a standard for greenhouse gases, there was the idea of establishing. Uh, making greenhouse gases a criteria pollutant. So then you would have to set a standard under the National Ambient Air Quality Standards Program. Um, and so there's always been this conversation, do we use uh, 111, 111, Section 111, which is what they ultimately went with, which is why we got CPP. I think there's pros and cons from a legal perspective in taking any of those routes. From, from my perspective, 
they chose the route that they thought was the strongest from the get-go, which is 111. Now, six to seven years later, they realized that it was riddled with flaws and inhibited their ability to ultimately establish what they want, which is an economy-wide standard, um, carte blanche, regardless of cost and consequences to the economy and all these other things that policymakers should be thinking about when you're making these decisions. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't be surprised if they try to um, redefine ozone or they set an ozone standard so strict or they they throw in in the consideration of the ozone science, its impact on climate. And they try to tie all that together in a not very transparent or a, a way that's very difficult for the general public to understand and digest and just and just implement uh, pretty strict standards that have the same effect of a greenhouse gas standard, but hiding behind the cloak of uh, ozone and ozone standard. I yeah. mean, I, I could see that. I see that argument. I would just say with all of this, there's there's legal um, vulnerabilities that I know that there's folks that are, are, are watching closely and would be ready to take that fight on as well in the same way that they did for the CPP. Yep. And I know that there are lawsuits galore being filed now, thankfully on our side, on a whole bunch of stuff like the leasing moratorium, um, et cetera. The, the, all of this points to what has been a longstanding beef of mine, which is, is that the greens and these zealots have, been trying to utilize or to interpret these laws in a way that Congress simply just didn't allow them to do. Yeah. And they can't admit that that and on our side is is sort of equally guilty. We let's have this debate on the Hill. I yeah. don't care. I don't care who's in charge, Dems, ours, whatever. Because, you know, we've been harping for years about having a straight up and down vote on carbon tax. Right. Let's have this stuff debated on the Hill and let let these people be accountable to their constituents instead of these bureaucrats running around trying to square to square a circle uh, with these with these arcane interpretations of these laws. So, uh, yeah, 100 percent. And I, I would just note that my former boss, Administrator Andrew Wheeler, wrote a very uh, okay, good article. Okay. Let's just let's slow this train. Down. We're not. <laughs> We're not going to we're not going to use this as an as a, as an opportunity to lionize Andy Wheeler. That no way is that happening. Go ahead. Well, I'm sorry. I would say in 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 an esteemed uh, newspaper called the Washington Times, yeah, uh, someone yeah, came up yeah. with a really good idea to revisit the Federalist Papers, and he wrote about that very point. Um, ah, see, touche. <laughs> now what are you going to do, huh, Mr. McKenna? Hoisted on my own petard. <laughs> you you got to let me finish. Uh, that was for you, McKenna. Um, so I, I think he wrote that, and there was a significant response. I mean, it's true. Congress, Congress needs to be willing to engage, and in a substantive way. Um, engaging doesn't mean spending four to five minutes going on uh, national news shows and highlighting some talking points and then calling it a day. I mean, it's digging in at the committee level and having honest conversations, not just creating political theater to 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 um, hash these 
issues out that if you don't get them right or they're imbalanced in any way, it can have significant consequences, certainly on the economic side, but also on the environmental side. And I just think you're right. The, the way that our institution was designed to deal with these difficult issues was to hash that out in Congress, not behind the protections of federal bureaucracies where people who have never lived outside of the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia bubble um, are making decisions that really complicate the lives and the livelihoods of people who live in the rest of America. Yeah, so I had a we have our daily AEA has its daily news clips called In the Pipeline. Best aggregator. In and best aggregator uh, one of the articles is about the rise, uh, the increase in gas prices. And of course, our mock headline was quick survey. How when was the last time this was to directed to U.S. senators? When was the last time you filled a gas tank? Because they're completely, <laughs> completely detached from yeah. all of this rhetoric and all this conversation. I got two quick things and I'm gonna turn it over to my colleague here, my co-host. One, what should the Trump administration have done that they didn't do at EPA? Ooh. Just one, just, just, one. just pick just one. one, just one. What was the one thing they should have Man. done that they didn't do? There's only one right answer here, kid. I know, I know. <laughs> I know what the answer is. I know. That's why, they, that's why it's easy. We only have like five listeners, so it's not, you know what? It's not like it's going to go viral on the, or On anything. the other hand, this will all be used against you when you go for confirmation <laughs> in the next administration. So think, think hard. These, these, okay, so, so I'm, I'm not going to go one route. Um, I'm going to go the, the obvious route here is uh, we had an opportunity uh, to tee up the endangerment finding for for um, constructive criticism. And there were a lot of folks, there was a lot of momentum to an interest in doing that. And, and let me say this, from an honest perspective, not to gut the system, but let's just think about this. The, the, the endangerment finding was put in place in 2009. That is uh, 11 years plus years ago now at this point, and think of how much the understanding around a lot of that science has evolved. Um, I think on its face, just integrating the latest and greatest understanding into the existing endangerment finding would have been good, number one, from uh, improving the, the general understanding and reflective of the, the today's scientific um, analysis. And then Two, it was rushed when it was put into place. And so there are a lot of people who rightfully point out that when it was put into place, it did not follow some of the agencies, not just EPAs, but OMBs, um, procedural requirements for, for peer review and scrutiny and those sorts of things that are really important in the scientific process. We could have gone through that. And improved the integrity of what it actually stands for, for people outside of the small community of people that were a part of the original exercise. And I think it would have been better. It would have been more clarifying. People would have seen it as more credible. Um, and I, I think it was just the right thing to do, given the evolution of the science from even 2009 until today. We could have done that and we didn't do it. Um, and and uh, I wish we had. Mm. Last question for me. What are you working on these days? What's going on in your world? What uh, what's what are your projects and just kind of fill us in? 
Yeah, I've got a ton of stuff going on. Um, one, first and foremost, uh, my real job is I've got a consulting firm with my husband called Section 7 Strategies, and we're really focusing on helping people successfully navigate Capitol Hill, the administrative agencies, and then the communications world. And so he and I split that up. He comes from the tax and trade world. I'm the energy and environment. So we can cover a lot of bases and help people get the things that they want or um, establish, establish the reputation they need to get the things that they want here in Washington, D.C. And so that's that's project number one. Um, project number two, I'm a part of a board uh, with a group called the Alliance for Innovation and Infrastructure. This is a very uh, technical-focused bipartisan group um, that wants to develop pragmatic solutions to things like pipeline safety and pipeline development. And it was originally founded by a former FEMSA administrator, a gentleman named Brigham McCowan, yeah, who served I, under- I, I know Brigham. I, 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 know Brigham. I, I felt Brigham's presence yes. as, as you were as you were reading it. I'm like, oh, but, yeah. The, pra the, the pragmatic's the dead tip. Right? I heard Brigham's <laughs> breathing behind me when, when she saw, brought that up. And that's this is all in a good way, by the way. No, like, we love Brigham. Wait, what? We love huh? Brigham. He's great. I have deeply mixed feelings about him. Go ahead. <laughs> so okay, so that's that's project number so, two. So Pro so you're lobbying um, you're lobbying for the administration's infrastructure bill. No. No. Okay. Sorry. Just trying to understand. I, would, I, I didn't. I go would to... say I would. I, I I'm I'm in, I'm informing the development of affiliated solutions. Uh, uh, wow. With, with, in that wow um, holy mackerel that's the greatest dc sense we've ever had on this show well i'm really trying to elevate i, I feel like we should ring a bell or something <laughs> we need to add some props to our i was thinking about adding like you know sound effects and bong. things but so we're still getting our feet wet on this even what? though we're 29 or we're happy you're into in. it what's the third so. one what's the third one well um so I'm in the process of rebranding Energy 45, um, and I'll, I don't want to get don't want to get out ahead of that. But I'm break, be you can break up. some news here. <laughs> break some news. You can break. I, it'll a be a more breaking news story. Lots of media listen to this. Lots like, of media. Two people. A, a, like two a people. A grassroots net, network that really captures the impact that these energy and environment decisions have um, on kitchen table economics. That's is, the that's the teaser there. Is it is, it is it pragmatic? Of course it's Was it trying to elevate the discourse and what was that other thing with that last guy? Uh, it's it's different. It's different. <laughs> well, this is this is more grassroots in the field. As, so as always, as always, uh, I'm sure your your uh, all your endeavors are going to be very successful and I look forward to working with you especially on the reiteration of energy 45. So uh, I'm done. Do you have anything else you'd like to share? No, smart I'm, guy. I'm still trying to figure out that last sentence of the second <laughs> thing. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of stunned. It's like, like when you hit somebody with a cattle problem. It's like, what? What? <laughs> Anyways, this sounds this this is exactly like our our lunches and dinners, isn't it? I know. We should. It's just It's kind of like this. Just what we do. We just have our little lunch conversations yeah. on, and we just hit record. And we got a great producer and. We need to go. Alex like cuts stuff here and there. We need to set up at a restaurant and actually just like eat lunch. I know with the background this. stuff yeah, yeah, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. All right. Well, you come back on. Can you handle the scrutiny? Yeah, I can. I can totally handle it. You can it. handle and it. Uh, yeah. Well, all right. Good. There you go. That's my question. Are you going to remember us when you're famous? <laughs> and, and you guys, 
you guys are the famous ones, not and, me. And when you do have, uh, when you do launch Energy 45 2.0, <laughs> come back on and we'll we'll talk more about it. Awesome. I will. All right. Thank you, Mandy. Good to have you. Yeah. Thanks, Mandy. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Well, that was fun. Mike, what else you got? <laughs> I got a lightning round. All right, let's uh, do it. Let's do it. So we can go to lunch. I'm getting hungry. Things that happened this we're week. We're going to Joe's today. Joe Mansion, my favorite. No, no, we're going to Joe's. I uh, know. Joe Mansion, my favorite. Crab. My favorite senator announced his opening bid for the infrastructure package. He wants Republicans to vote for tax increases, and he specifically mentioned the value added tax. That's the second time he's mentioned a value added tax. So. For all you tax lobbyists out there and want to be tax lobbyists, we're going to talk about a value-added tax. It's a big score. It is a big score. It's like $700 billion. It covers a multitude of sins, depending on where you set it. Um, that's thing one. Thing two, um, uh, Governor Nome um, went to the bottom of the Republican primary stack oh, this week. Oh, uh, vetoing the NCAA threat, the threat, yes. Uh, yes. succumbing to the threat of the NCAA. Well, she tried was, to defend herself on Tucker, by the way. It was, didn't go well. It was sad, right? Well, uh, well, I'm looking to put together a coalition. In no way does that explain why you didn't sign the bill, right? Um, and it's going to get worse because it's going to turn out she really wasn't worried about the NCAA. She was really worried about the Amazon thing coming into her in South Dakota. Um, you know, that's, yeah, a, that's this is, a, this, this is the reason we talked uh, earlier about this. This is the reason that the Republican party is no longer very soon going to identify itself or align itself yeah. with big business. Yeah. And, and what I don't they get have gone is off the deep end, all of them. Yeah. What I don't get is, is that, you know, okay. It, it's not like South Dakota is scrambling for work. I think it's got one of the lowest unemployment rates in the country. It's doing fine. You really don't need Thanks an Amazon. Thanks in the most part to the shale revolution. Yeah. You really don't need a um, – you really don't need an Amazon you know, distribution center. I mean it's good to have, but you don't need it. You know, he, She should have signed the bill and looked at Amazon and said, all right, go wherever you're going to go. And then you know, if I was her, I'd have promptly introduced a whatever, 40-cent tax on Amazon products, whatever, some, some, some number like that. So that's a huge problem well, for her. I guess the, I don't the, know the how bigger she question is, is when, when did she – because – I mean, she basically was bringing like bring it on. Like she was, she was. It was her idea. Up into this, it was her idea, setting herself up nationally for this fight, and then. Yeah, my guess is the Amazon thing spooked her, um, but you know what? We're going to find out. That's the great thing about it's a great thing about politics, right? Everything ultimately comes out. The other thing that happened this week that's worth talking about real quick is that Philemon Vela, who you probably don't know, Philemon is a Democratic frontliner in the House, right? He is, I want to say, one of the deputy whips. He's not the chief deputy whip, but he's one of the deputy whips. He represents the Rio Grande Valley. Um, good guy. A good guy, right? Um, Philemon announced uh, the other day that he's not going to run for re-election. Okay, that's the second um, that's the second border candidate who's announced they're not going to run for re-election, right? Ann Kirkpatrick over in Arizona mm -hmm. in the Tucson seat. Mm -hmm. She announced she's going to take a pass on it. Now, that Tucson seat's been Republican before, right? Um, till she ran, till she's, I think she's won, she's run two or three, four times now. Till she owned it, it was a, it was a flip-flop receipt. The Rio Grande Valley is going to wind up going Republican, which is weird, right? Because it's without a doubt the most Hispanic chunk of the country. Well, it tells you, it tells you a lot about the. We're going to see more. The state of things. Yes. I mean, you we're know, gonna, people we're, forget this, but it, it's the other thing that's interesting is Henry Cuellar, who's the next um, congressman up to the north, right? Brownsville. Henry has been 
barking and barking and barking at the administration about this immigration thing, right? Um, it's Philemon is is exactly the wrong kind of guy to lose, right? He's the kind of guy you want to save. Um, so it's he, he's it's canary in a coal mine. Yeah. It's, well, it's I, what I was what I was getting to is people forget this, but you know Cesar Chavez in California. Yeah. The grandfather of the you know immigrant yeah. rights movement, the labor rights movement, I should say, was vehemently opposed to illegal immigration. Sure, man. Sure, man. You know, Caesar, Caesar, um, Caesar was a good man, um, a Roman Catholic, um, devout. Um, like a lot of like a lot of the like a lot of the farmers who who hired his people, right? Um, and, and and remind our our listeners of the proposal that some of the Republicans had in the Senate. Tying a minimum wage increase to yeah, um, this is I, I so I wrote about this right. Um, uh, Josh Hawley and um, Mitt Romney of all people um, wanted to tie a minimum wage increase to E-Verify. E-Verify is the holy grail of um, immigration policy, right? It would require companies to essentially um, go through an electronic database to certify that you are in fact a citizen, right? The business community, I know this is going to shock all of you who rep the business community out there. Business community has been uniformly opposed to E-Verify, right? Because um, it's unduly burdensome, unlike a carbon tax, which is apparently just duly burdensome. Um, by linking the minimum wage, which I think they offer, they said they initially set at 10 bucks and E-Verify, they gave the Republicans a really good place to stand on immigration and and the minimum wage, right? Um, it was brilliant. It was a nice little bit of legislative craft. Yeah, I mean, craft. I'm still going back and forth on the minimum wage part, but I understand, and this is sort of what Republicans need to do in the minority is sort of, you know, tie yeah. things up and tie people up. But it is what, what I think a repeating theme here is that the Republicans are shifting. Yeah, man. The Republican Party is moving away from this sort of knee-jerk support of big business and big business is increasingly more comfortable in this sort of national industrial yeah, man. policy type world where it's just a lot easier for them to interact with a few people in town and their yeah. their their bankers in New York. Yeah. And and that's that. Whatever the, the customers get in terms of scraps is fine by them. We're going to get a we're going to have a really interesting real world question uh, real world experiment on this. We're going to have as part of this tax increase with this infrastructure climate highway bill. Um, we're going to get an increase in the corporate rate, right? Mansion started off with that. I want to increase the corporate rate from 21 to at least 25%. Okay. And then he added the value added tax. Okay, there's 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 so those two taxes, right? One is pointed directly at businesses and their workers, but mostly at businesses. Um, and one is pointed directly at consumers. I'm willing to bet you that the Republicans are perfectly happy to roll over and play dead on the cor corporate tax rates. Well, Bernie wants it to go back to 35. I don't so care. He's even higher than, I, than, I, than, than Joe. And, let me be and, as honest as I Joe's. can be. Let me be so. as honest as I can be. Um, no one's paying me to care, so I don't care. Um, gotcha. Um, taxes are killer be killed operation but the republicans are going to spend more energy on the value added tax than they are on the corporate rate because value added tax actually affects human beings directly and that's a healthy place for a political party to be not healthy if you're a democrat right in the fading you know this fading idea that the democrats are the party of working people yeah that's that's and the little guy that's president biden he's a relic 
So these are standing around like anyway that. Um, and then <laughs> I'll the, leave it at that. I won't, I won't yeah, get into it. You should. And then the other two, the other two things, right? Ron Kind in Wisconsin is thinking about running for that Ron Johnson Senate seat, and Connor Lamb in Pennsylvania is thinking about running for that Pat Toomey seat, right? Connor just barely won, right, in the seventeenth of by Northwest. Yeah, of that Pittsburgh. was one that we yeah. were we were targeting, but yeah, didn't get. Yeah. So, and by targeting, I mean we were educating people. Yeah. About, so, obviously. long story short, is you're starting to see. Um, Democrats bet on who's going to be where after this election, and they are anticipating. You can tell they are starting to anticipate. Um, majority's going to flip, so I expect to see more resignations, more guys running for Senate, more guys running for governor, more guys doing something else. Yeah, I do, and I think that the um, the the Republican resignations are also interesting too, because it's sort of a a, wa a washing out of of some of the old guard. So, and and we we've seen these. Reports about McConnell trying to fix the legislate the fix the situation in Kentucky, yeah. where the state party can appoint the uh, yeah, vacant yeah. Senate seat. You know, come on, <laughs> it's like um, hmm, wonder why. So you know, in 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 Ohio, right? Um, if Mike Turner decides to run for that Portman seat, all right thinking Americans should take a hard look at Mike. He's the best congressman in that delegation. That says that okay, not he, a huge he, fan, but I get it. He's he's he'd be a great senator and and an upgrade from the current occupant. All right, what do you got? Anything else? Uh, yeah, it's probably close enough that we should um, predict number of Yankee wins this year. Oh boy, because uh, when's the season starts? Like April first. April first. April first. We'll, we, it'll be the next time we do this. It'll probably be like you know right upon us. So, what's your number? I'm gonna go. 97. Holy mackerel. Really? Mm -hmm. I'm going to go 88. Assuming full season. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm going to go 88. Win, those, win the World Series or not? Um, no, I'm not going to. I'm not going to have. I'm not going to take that. I'm not ready for that conversation yet. I predict the Yankees are going to win the World Series. There's two you reasons. Know why? There's you know why? two reasons why I'm not going to go there right now. And, you don't want to and jinx I will yourself. lose the 97 if the trend continues. Uh, the two big guys have played a total of about 112 games, games. 12 games, yeah. In the last two seasons. Yeah. So if they get hurt again, they're China. Then this is all, this is this whole idea of building this team around these two very large, bulky men is not going to work. This model is not going to work. So I tell you why we're going to win. I'm all ears. Garrett Cole. Cole's a gamer. He's definitely he's a, a gamer. gamer. And he's he had focused. his own personal catcher, but then he got hurt. He's gonna. He's focused. He's gonna drag that whole team I with think him. Is, uh, you know who else signed. is a gamer? You know who else is a gamer? Well, the Lemayhu obviously. Lemayhu is a gamer. I'm so. talking about on the pitching staff. Which one? Severino, Jermon, no, Monty, Herman, the problem child. He's a he's, gamer too. He's a little, man. got a little bit of that. Have you pain seen? Of, have you seen what he's, he's done in the spring? spring? He's just like, okay, train. all you yes. guys can just kiss my ass. Yeah. I'm going to show up here and pitch like yeah, I'm, like I'm Walter been, Johnson. He has been like he has shown like I'm here. Yeah, and Kluber is not injured yet. Those so two we'll guys, see. Garrett Cole and Herman, are going to win 20 games, and no one's no one's going to get near us in the playoffs. All right, so I've got ninety-seven. I got eighty-eight only because I'm I'm like you. I'm I'm significantly less convinced that the big guys are not going to miss a bunch of games. They are. They're just they're, they're China dolls. It's okay. All right. Okay. So let's wrap it up with our favorite doctor, yeah. Anthony Fauci. We got a final clip here. Regis, class of fifty-eight. Just a feeling. Here's my 
here's my origin on my Fauci. Okay. I read about him on in the basketball team. He's five foot four. They said he was a really rough and tumble guard. He was flying to the stands. He was always fighting. And then I looked at him. He's been the head of the epidemiology or whatever it is for 40 years. He's got to have sharp elbows. And I thought, underneath that nice guy scientist, he's kind of a tough guy. You know what? Don't <laughs> with me. You know what I'm saying? You can do whatever you want. I don't know who I am. But you know what? From the bottom of my heart, Stephen, go f yourself. <laughs> hey, uh, do, you have, do you have a Biden? Do you, have, you, have you worked on a Biden yet? <laughs> From the bottom of my heart. <laughs> oh, Dana, we love you. That's it. I'm done. I'm, I'm spent. I I'm, gotta go I'm, eat. I'm spent I'm too. Hungry. Time for lunch. All right. Um, it's out. Thanks, Peace everybody. Out. See you. That's a wrap. Hey.